Sometimes change can feel scary, but it can also be exhilarating. A time to stretch our boundaries, embrace opportunity, and start something new. Welcome to the Baby Brunch Parenting Series, made just for you by BrightRock, the provider of the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. This is a Baby Brunch Podcast. I always think that our Baby Brunch podcasts are not just any cast because we get to rope in all our experts and then also we get to hear from you. Janine Bull is back in the advisory seat and we had an email from you. Uh, This question says the following and Janine, you need to help me out here because it's about fighting. She says, our baby is four months old. He often threatens to leave and then we make up again. Everything is fine now, she says. What if he leaves me? My baby is so small. So there's a a lot of concerns around this. And I thought, who better to rope in than someone who understands people and understands our feelings and understands our minds? I mean, I look at this and I remember when our babies were just born. I spoke to a close friend of mine and she said to me, the one thing you want to do when you have babies, you and your partner, you and your husband, you and your wife, You need to be really solid before you even consider having children. And at that time, I didn't understand what she meant. But now that my daughter is four years old, I can see that my relationship with even my husband is changing as my child is evolving in this beautiful little girl. You know, our conversations are different and the things we fight about are also different. When we look at this email from this concerned mommy with this four-month-old baby, where do we even start? I mean... When little children come into a relationship, things change. Mm, absolutely. Hi, Lana. And I'm very sort of touched by her email because I think it really does illustrate the very familiar ups and downs. As we, as we hit up against a difference, we tend to clash and argue. And then it also sort of blows away and things are better. But of course, the fear of what will happen, is it going to happen again And then when we sometimes in those times of clashes, what can happen is we have that, this is terrible, I want to run away. And some people will make the runaway statements, I can't do this. And that can be scary. So in the first part of her question, let's talk about the notion of fighting. She says, my husband and I fight. So let's assume that this is a verbal fight. Two people are distressed. They haven't had a lot of sleep. Uh, Their baby is small. Is Is it healthy for couples to fight? Yes, I think let's say that that this idea of fighting, um, we can have helpful fights, which would more go along a a description of maybe constructive conflict. And I would say helpful fights are extremely necessary in building a relationship. It's the way we get to know each other. It's the way we get to know ourselves. We understand each other better. It's moments of vulnerability. It helps us get more in touch with each other and connect So it's absolutely essential in terms of building love and building a a good bond. On the other hand, we get what we can say are destructive fights. That's more along the lines of um, being unhelpful. And I think most listeners that have been in that situation of having sort of a reactive, intense, unhelpful fight where you walk away feeling quite wounded would know that it probably doesn't feel good. And you have an instinctive sense that this is not good for the children to be exposed to. Then we know that that's an unhelpful fight. You love your partner. You love your wife. You love your husband. How does one avoid, how do you avoid fighting? I mean, how do you, how do you prepare? Well, we're going to have a constructive fight now. It's going to be peaceful. Is there, is there a run up to that? Like, is there, 
how do you even take off into that? Yes, absolutely. I think that's a it's a very good point you're making because it sounds good in theory. Come, let's have a constructive fight. Now, that's not actually going to happen. What probably is going to happen is that you're going to tumble into a reactive sparring. That's more. That's actually more normal. That's how it goes for couples. Is fighting normal? Most couples do fight. I would almost say if couples are not actually hitting up against these moments, then they might be avoiding conflict. And of course, none of us like conflict, but some people are good at avoiding conflict and that can lead to other problems. But let's rather assume that, as our listener was describing, the couple is just tumbling into a reactive fight. Probably what is the most helpful thing is the the talk that happens afterwards. So we will initially have these reactive fights because that's inevitable. We all have to learn on our feet. So we do have to sort of, you know, fall into the reactive fight. And then the after conversation is where where the sort of growth happens. So that's when we talk about our talking. So after the fight, we're going to debrief and we say, look, that wasn't very helpful. Can we try and do it differently? And now we can start talking about how we're going to do it next time. Let's also say that realistically, people don't just get it right next time. So five or 10 times, you're probably going to be landing into an unhappy reactive fight, if not more. So I think what's very important is these real realistic expectations of ourselves and of the other person. Do we? And and I mean, I'm I'm totally pointing to my own relationship with my husband now. I'm a stepmom and often we would need to do day-to-day stuff, whether it is a sleeping arrangement or we're talking about meals and money for the month. And I know that there's certain trigger points. I know that there's certain things that if I mention it, he will get his back up. So therefore, I know not to go there because I choose my fights. It's not necessary to even discuss it. There's some stuff. I mean, Ian and I had a laugh the other day. Someone said to me, so so how many times do you speak to his ex? And I said, we don't ever speak because we don't like hang out like besties, you know. There's just some stuff you don't need to discuss or have a discussion about. Is there such a thing as tips for a peaceful fight or a peaceful conversation? Like, how do you... How do you have this conversation that you are so desperately trying to have with your partner without getting it to a point where, you know, it's heated? Mm, for sure, there, there would be tips. But I think what you've described, we need to just also make note of this idea that you know his trigger points. So the only way we learn those, those hot spots or those red buttons, so to speak, is trial and error. So I think it's important to also not be too hard on ourselves in that initial phase of marriage or when the children come along where a lot of these hotspots are exposed because we have to actually have those sticky conversations to learn. What you're describing is that you're almost now at the next phase where you know what they are and you can choose to move away from them or possibly what we can do is is be more intentional about the speaking. So you can choose to have a difficult conversation um, and you, there's preparation before, you choose the time, the person knows that you're going to have a, a difficult conversation. It's not just an incidental thing that lands on your spouse as they're driving or washing the dishes. So you choose your time. Of course, the how of it is very important. It is probably helpful to stick to the I messages because, of course, naturally as human beings, we tend to notice what is wrong in our environment. And how that will come out is blaming, blaming statements because we, we sense something's wrong 
um, and we look to outside of ourselves, which then often lands on our spouse. So we naturally will blame. So we have to choose to actually just bring our experience forward rather than to blame. I think that is that it can be very helpful. You see a lot of couples, you see a lot of people, you see a lot of young moms. We've established that when a new baby comes along, it's hard for the first bit because you're starting to get used to a lot of things. There's a lot of change. Does it get easier as the children grow older? I mean, I met a lady who she also works in a, a field where she helps people. And I remember her husband and her divorced when the children were five and eight. And at the time she said to me, I wish it wasn't now because we've just gotten through it. She she referred to the growing of her children and the, the, the stage that her marriage was at, it was almost like she referred to her marriage compared to how old the children were. Like the children have grown up now, therefore it's the wrong time for him to leave because it's actually getting easier now that they're older. Does it and is it supposed to become easier the the older our babies get? I think naturally that that phase of having a baby. So a listener with a four-month-old baby, that is an extremely difficult time. So for sure, it, it does get easier. But I think that initial phase where, the, where it is so challenging is also a time where we need to learn about each other. So does it get easier because the children are getting older? Or has it now got easier because now we've figured it out? Now we've actually learned, learned about the other person and we know how to, to converse. So perhaps we get better. So the children get older, but maybe one also gets better at talking. Oh, I like that. Okay. If you just joined our podcast, we're chatting to Janine Bull. Uh, we're discovering things about ourselves and also answering a question that came from you. Uh, our baby is four months old. He often threatens to leave and then we make up. What 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 is going on for her there? I mean, he threatens to leave, but they always obviously make up, so he doesn't. Yes, so that is a, a sort of an example of, of a reactive moment where they both are in a difficult space. And I think it does happen that our buttons are pressed. Often, as you say, it's the lack of sleep. Um, and it's, it's a very challenging time. I mean, if you just consider that when you have a baby, things change. Even you go to work and when you come home before children, coming home is your haven. It's like the nest and you're going to land in your soft nest, relax, rejuvenate, rest, so that you can be ready for work the next day. Now a baby comes into that picture. What happens when you get home? No, there's no more rest. There's no soft space to land. Now starts the second job. People don't really anticipate that until it happens. Only when it happens do you really appreciate what it feels like to be that stretched and to just have no soft space. There's just this unrelenting needs and demands all around you. She says everything is fine now, but what if he leaves me? My baby is so small. Mm. And, that's, and that's scary. You know, that, that sense of abandonment, and we can get very frightened, that threat of, I'm going to leave. It's unfortunately something that people do use when they are fighting. It's a very unhelpful, I sometimes refer to it as a stone to throw. It's a very unhelpful stone to throw because I think a lot of people have this fear of abandonment, fear that they they will be left. Um, and that it doesn't help the relationship to threaten leaving. I think it is more helpful if there is that, that commitment to making it work and struggling together rather than the threat of leaving.
it just builds trust and makes the relationship safer, which is going to help the, the process of exploring and understanding each other. I can't help but go back to our previous conversations that we've had on mindfulness when I read this. Is this something that, that speaks to that? I mean, he didn't say he's going to leave, or maybe he did. Maybe he said, I'm leaving now. But everything is fine now, according to her correspondence and her email. And she says, my baby is so small. How could how could one make it better by, by the things that we say? I mean, if if we bring mindfulness in this and we focus on the things that are real, the things that are really happening, how could we fix what's happening inside our heart and mind when we read this email? I think where mindfulness is very helpful is this idea that, yes, of course, there is this idea of mindful meditation where you take time to be still within yourself and you go into a space of sort of being silent and noticing. But the idea of being mindful in your everyday and in moments of intensity is also very helpful. And what that really means is to step back and notice what's going on inside of myself. So it can happen even in a fight where you can actually step back and notice. And if you can notice what's happening inside of you, then you can also name it. So in the case of the husband who's obviously having a very strong feeling, he could be completely overwhelmed with what's coming towards him in the moment. And now he's not managing. And he might have this instinct to run. He just wants to get out of here. Now, if he is able to be mindful in the moment, what he will notice is that he's hugely intense when he's being triggered and he's feeling very intensely um, and that he actually feels like running away. If he can notice that, then he can choose to either say it or not say it. If we haven't noticed it, what will happen is we'll say it before we even have registered it. So I think where mindfulness comes in at this point is this idea of awareness. As soon as we notice what's happening inside of us and we're aware then we can make choices as to what we say when we say it. Because that is saying that he's going to leave was probably reactive. Maybe he has absolutely no intention of leaving. But in the moment, he was freaked out and he felt like running away and he just said it. When, when I, I look at this email, a part of me wishes that there was some big brother, you know, that steps in and goes, calm down, it's not going to be that bad and you are fine and... You know, that that's almost on her side because I've been in the point where you've just had a four-month-old baby and you're unsure and you feel vulnerable and all you want is strength around you. You know, you don't want to fight. How can one stay present or sane when all of that is happening and it's really overwhelming? You know, it must be really difficult being in a place where, you know, I can immediately say he didn't have the baby. I did, you know, <laughs> or he's threatening to leave. I'm not working at the moment. He's bringing in the money. So what about me? You know, you have a poor me feeling where you're going, I, I gave you this little gift. It came from me. And now you're threatening to leave. Yes, yes, absolutely. And it, I think you're right. It is, it is really hard. As you say, big brother, brother, whistle and say, stop, calm down. For me, that, that can come from either side. When we're looking at these reactive fights, I think both people in the couple need to almost come to a point of agreeing that those, um, those intense fights, we blow the whistle on each other. Okay, stop. Let's just leave it for now. So when it hits a certain level of intensity, we actually call a stop to it. In terms of being in tune with what's happening inside of ourselves, and again, that is where mindfulness comes in, 
we need to be more mindfully aware of our needs. So for that mommy to get more in tune with what's actually happening inside of her, because if she can be able to name and and will first identify and notice what's, what her needs are, then she will be able to name them in a way that her husband potentially can hear. So possibly what's coming out is she's bringing a need forward because exactly as you describe it, she's feeling extremely stressed and stretched to the nth degree. And perhaps she actually just needed a hug. Perhaps she just needed a bit of support. And if she could just calmly and quietly have named that, it's quite possible that he would have been able to attend to it because often what we need is actually quite simple. But when it comes out in the wrong way, it's not heard. Do you think it's constructive to once a week as a couple sit down and go, let's talk about and unpack what makes you happy and unhappy? I don't know. I'm, I'm imagining this because let's say it's like a pot, right, that boils. At some stage, it's going to and explode, you know? Is there no way of, I don't know, in life or in marriage, control the way we feel or fight by letting it out bit by bit and then eventually it doesn't boil over, you know? Absolutely. And I think that's a, a very good idea to have these structured times that are set aside for meaningful conversations. Even just the conversation around how are you, how are your needs, how are you managing. So they're not necessarily to raise a problem with the other person. It's more a time of sharing so that you can be more in tune with each other realistically, as I'm sure you can appreciate, especially when you have child number two or three or four, (laughs) you actually, it's very hard for spontaneous moments to emerge. If you don't structure it, so my husband and I have our Thursday morning, and that is our fixed time where we will spend time together from nine until 12, and that's our time. And so I think that that is helpful um, because it just doesn't come up naturally in, in a busy family life. You know, by the time the children are asleep, let's face it, we're often too tired to talk. Now's not the time. No. Wow. To sort of almost plan, get help, even if it is a time where on a Saturday afternoon they're going to watch their favorite program while, you know, you have your time. It could even be that ideally it is to get out, but that's not always possible for some couples. I'm I'm looking at the question and I'm just thinking, is, is constructive fighting, and I'm bringing a little bit of my own baggage in here, is constructive fighting writing him an email? Can't you just write him a note and tell him what you think of certain things? Because then you can edit it and erase a little bit and click on send, right? Absolutely. And, and read it a few times before you click on send because obviously… <laughs> <laughs> so it can be very triggering. But I think writing is sometimes helpful for people. Right. And even if it's the unsent email, even if you want to sort of send him that email that you then choose not to send, mm-hmm. it's a way of getting more in touch with what's going on inside of you. Because ultimately, we can't tell anybody what we need or want what's going on with us if we don't know what's going on with us. So step one is always what's going on inside of me before you can even tell him about it. Um, So even if it's just for your own sake to write the email, but I think a lot of people do respond better to having it written. So it's quite, yeah, it's quite personal, but I think you'd find that a lot of listeners would agree with you that writing is easier. What advice can we give to anonymous mom who's written as this note asking for help? She's saying everything is fine now, but she's, she's scared because her baby is small. 
it's almost like she's saying, I would have been fine if I was on my own, you know, I would get out. Um, but she, she's there with her baby and she says, my baby is so small. Everything's fine now. What if he leaves? What, what reassurance can we give her without knowing the entire situation? Because, you know, this is two sentences. Um, what, what can we tell her? Yes, and I'm also hearing from her that she doesn't want she doesn't want to raise the baby alone, and I think that that is very understandable. A lot of parents can relate to that. That now that we have this little one, it's not as simple as just leaving. And I think the reality is that the relationship between the mom and the dad is now there forever. Even if they do get divorced, divorce doesn't break the relationship. They're still going to be co-parents. So the reality is that you're in relationship forever now, as long as you're alive or the child is alive, you're now in relationship and to learn to basically respect and love that person regardless. I think that would be for me, step number one, but we're going to work on the basis that we were, that these two, are, these two people are going to stay together, stay married. Then I would say to sort of choose a time when the, the moment is not intense and for her to suggest, like you suggested, a time of talking together where you can actually just chat about things in a more sort of common, sort of controlled environment. What I think is a really helpful way to start is this idea of appreciation and gratitude. I think it's, it's vitally important to, to remember that always is to appreciate each other and to be able to express that appreciation as, as step number one. And then to also go towards it, knowing that he is a good person, believing in his goodness, and to be able to say to yourself that you actually want to hear, you want to listen, you want to know what's going on for him. Of course, we want him to hear us. <laughs> and that's natural. Naturally, we have an issue and we want to be heard. But it's sometimes helpful to, to almost encourage ourselves to openly receive and hear his side before we bring our side forward. But I'm always right. Why do I want to hear his side? Exactly. <laughs> we are always right. And it's an interesting thing because we almost come from this, this assumption that people are the same of, as us. And then when we notice that they're different, we immediately think they're wrong. Yeah. Yeah. Because, of course, you know, we we the, the measure of normality. <laughs> <laughs> they're wrong. Because <laughs> I was thinking of that while you were wrapping up. I was thinking... How, how do you blame someone by, by making them not react? Like, how do you blame someone nicely by saying it's your fault, but not by saying it so much? Because, you know, in, in a fight, you always assume that you're the correct one. I'm right. Yes, yes. No, I understand. And, and I think we need to be understanding towards our own human nature. I think that is human nature. I think a lot of people could relate to what you're saying. To know that is part of our human nature and to set that aside and first hear his point of view and to start appreciating that he is different and that doesn't necessarily mean he is wrong. Sure. <laughs> can be very challenging. Yeah, it can be very challenging because it, it means my mom used to say, you must know your P's and Q's. I always thought, what does that even mean? But what she was saying is, is that sometimes you just need to watch your mouth and sometimes other people needs to be heard as well, even though you think they're wrong, you know? Yes, and we also need to watch that almost our, our instinct to want to change people. I think we, we have that idea 
um, that that they're wrong and they need to change. But there is this old um, saying that goes along the lines of, of it's not helpful to try and change your spouse. And I often I wonder about that because it is true that we can't change him and we need to accept that he is different for sure. But then we also know that for the sake of the relationship, actually both of us need to change. So it is an interesting concept of how to present a difficulty. And in essence, we're saying he is wrong and we want him to change. And let's face it, we probably are right sometimes that actually he perhaps is being selfish and does need to become a little bit more other focused. Mm. This might be true. Um, but it's how to, to bring that change across to him um, in a way that isn't blaming, isn't expecting him to change or demanding him to change because that's not helpful. But he's not the guy I married. Absolutely. I can fully understand that. And it's that sense that when we didn't see this, the suddenly this side of him, we didn't see that. And now it's there and it doesn't like this is the person we married. But, but to be able to take a step back and to understand who this person really is, I think is very challenging. What I find quite helpful is this concept that if we look at it as, as working towards building the team, I think it's a it's a help perspective because instead of trying to change him, we're wanting to work on the team so that we almost um, on the same side of the table working towards building this team and being strong as a team rather than seeing him as an opponent on the other side of the table that we're wanting to change. Right. I like the team concept. Okay, so let's quickly unpack that. So, so we're a team he's not he's not against me we are we are together sure when they describe a marriage that's what they describe but i like the concept of team because it's we're on the same side we want the same things but we're in conflict so how do you help me help me change my perception of this guy that has changed he's showing me a new side of him or her and I want to accept those changes because all the other things about this person is actually still the same. Yes. Are there, so are there changes or were there aspects that you didn't see before? They could be changes because maybe the environment has changed and he's changed or he's showing a side of him that you never knew that you never saw before. Yeah. I do think understanding and understanding the needs and feelings behind the issue that you're fighting about. I find that very helpful. So often we could be arguing about a specific thing, but if we understand the needs behind that, it does help a lot. So we could, for example, be arguing about, um, yes, an issue in the kitchen, how, how something is done in the kitchen, um, and he might view it as very pedantic, you being kind of the perfectionist, and he might think that that is ridiculous and pedantic and we don't have to be so rigid. If he understood possibly that the the needs and the feelings behind that was one of if the kitchen is ordered, then I, I feel like everything's under control and I need to feel that everything's under control to feel safe and to feel comfortable. And so that I have time to do my hair. Yeah, well, there we go. And then we... And not clean the kitchen again. <laughs> exactly. And so it's just understanding how people function. So it's often to get to the needs and feelings behind the issue. And we can only do that 
in a quieter, more constructive conversation, not in a fight. Because that usually will touch on vulnerability, things like safety or things like maybe it's it's an argument, but the need behind it is, is affirmation. I just need a little bit of affirmation. I need a bit of attention. I need a bit of love. I want a hug. I want some reassurance. Those are more vulnerable things. We're not going to bring that forward in a fight. But that could be the need behind the fight. Sure. There's so much I want to unpack. I mean, I have a question here about living uh, with, with a husband, with the in-laws and having having people in your space constantly. And sometimes you can't avoid that because sometimes you live with other people, you know, and you share space. But um, this was this was enlightening. Thanks for your email as it came through. Um, I hope that we were able to, to unpack it for you with some good conversation around peaceful conversations and how to, I love, Janine, the fact and the notion of team, how you and your team can create a peaceful environment for you and your young baby. Janine, thanks for your time. Thanks, Lana. Baby Brunch is made just for you by Bright Rock. Becoming a parent changes everything, from your sleep schedule to your finances. That's why Bright Rock's Needs Match Life Insurance lets you precisely craft a solution to cover your specific needs. From protecting your income to covering your debts and your child's future, because you pay just for the cover you need, you can get up to 40% more cover. So get the first ever needs-matched life insurance that changes as your life changes. Go to brightrock.co.za. Brightrock Life is an authorized financial services provider and registered insurer. Terms and conditions apply.